Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. The 17th century, not an easy time for farming. The 21st century, though, a great time for decision spaces. This week, we're feeding the cows, harvesting vegetables, and trying to get a nice little schnapps distillery going on our farm. That's right. We're covering Uwe Rosenberg's farming sim breakthrough, Agricola. In today's episode, we'll talk game history and background before rising early to unpack this robust decision space in a classic deep dive, talking about things like pacing, scoring, player count, and more. Whew. Well Great done, intro. <laughs> Thank you. That must be the practice of the arduous farming that helps you get through that long-winded sentence that we, we teed up for you there. You know, I do have a lot of experience waking up early to tend to the Zoom meetings, you know? <laughs> Have you have you grown your family of computers so you can get more Zoom meetings uh, attended at once? Yeah, I am. I'm taking the family expansion and just plopping new monitors onto my desk. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice, nice. I have to be honest, Jake. I'm a little bit intimidated going into this week's episode. Agricola just has this like sort of um, Titanic reputation in a lot of ways in the board game world, where, or at least maybe that's what I feel it has, where sort of people always have referred back to this game, and it's one that I've never really played i sort of mm -hmm. would go into game stores and people would be like have you played agricola and i was sort of like no and i don't know that i need to even though i know that it's amazing and now that i'm really excited to say that i have but i'm not sure i, I i'm gonna return to it a lot i'm kind of like diving straight to the meat of it before we even did our reviews so i'm sorry yeah let's pause on that for just a second because we should tell our pre-planners that are here uh that in the next week's episode we'll be covering dice hospital uh, and then following that, the next game on the horizon uh, that, that we're getting warmed up now in the Decision Space Discord is Blood Rage. So we'd love it if you want to play those games along with us uh, so you can get a little bit more out of those episodes when they do come up. Okay, Brendan, with that out of the way, let's hop right into our ratings and review of this game. Okay, I guess I'll, I'll go first since I kind of started yeah. down that path. Um, so here I'll just say at times, Jake, Agricola feels like interacting to me with like a finely crafted instrument. Uh, there's a specific way that it's meant to be interacted with. And if you're willing to play by those rules, then there's a ton of fun to be had and you can accomplish some amazing things. There's some agonizing decisions here that are really rewarding. Uh, but likewise, with real investment, there's room, room for real mastery. And watching someone produce a strong score can be a bit like watching a performer go off on an energetic and moving solo with an instrument. Uh, but I think that at times, Jake, Agricola can sometimes feel like having a prescription for fun. Where if you do exactly what Uwe Rosenberg tells you to do, you're going to have a blast. And if you can manage to do it, you're going to have an even better time. But it's not without its rough edges. And it's incredibly rigid in the way that it wants you to approach playing its game. Uh, but I do think it's a, a canonical decision space that everyone should experience at least once, at least maybe twice, maybe three times, maybe 30 times. I don't know. But for me, I think this game is a 7.5 out of 10. It's an awesome game that I'm really excited to talk about and really glad to experience, but not one that I could see myself wanting to go back to because I think that it represents this sort of really different type of Euro game that I'm not as interested in playing as I thought I might be. How about yeah, you? Yeah, really well done review, Brendan. I think that was oh. you know one, one of your best. I love the analogy. 
to playing an instrument. I think a lot of what you said is spot on with how I feel. I'm giving this game a 7 out of 10. So to me, that's like a good game. I couldn't see myself giving this a lower rating than that because I do think it's good. But I think there are also some things that I find to be flaws with the game. A lot of people use kind of terminology around like point salad as like a disparaging term sometimes where it's kind of like, oh, everything you're doing kind of gets you points. And that's not really something I have a problem with typically. In fact, it's something I genuinely really enjoy in games. But I did find myself kind of at the end of games of Agricola just doing a ton of time searching through mm. like, okay, I, like literally going through like each action, like, okay, what of these things like gets me points because the way the point system works is kind of you know convoluted in that like everything gets you points in some way but you know sometimes you need to like have three of something to get to the next point barrier or sometimes just like one uh, so on and so forth so i'm like consulting this reference sheet and i think if that's something that you've really internalized it's not an issue at all but to me that is kind of like a key experience that i think kind of pops up over and over with this game like once you have it internalized, I think a lot of what I found in my place to be flaws or frustrating things totally melt away. Mm-hmm. But as you're learning the game, I think you are going to be coming up against these rough edges, which puts this in a weird spot for me where I think, you know, if you and your group, when you're making a purchasing decision, if you're looking for the next game that you and your group can dig into and play weekly or biweekly, you know, for 20, 30, 40, 50 times, Agricola might be right at the top of my list as a game that you should check out for that situation. But if you're somebody who is what I think is probably more typical of people who are playing games in the modern board game space this day, where, you know, realistically, when you pick up a new game, you're hoping to play it, you know, one or two times a year. I think that Agricola might let you down. And I think that it's just, not designed in a way that so many modern games are today that really offers a lot of fun right out of the gate. I think what's really interesting too is oftentimes when we record these episodes, Jake, we do our we do our best to play a game enough that we could feel like an expert or at least close to an expert. Like at least we have insights that an expert might have. We can sort of see the thinking behind decisions that our people are making. And I've played this game over 20 times now. And I'll say that I feel like a novice uh, and I know I'm a novice. Uh, The scores that I'm going for and what I can see other people's producing, I know that I'm still a novice at this game, despite putting in, I think, real effort and work to sink my teeth into. So listener, as you listen to this episode, know that we know that about the game of Agricola. And I think it's okay that I speak for Jake here, that we know we're coming into the game sort of from that perspective, which is different from the way we typically approach it. And that's just because of the type of game Agricola is. This is a game that when people love Agricola, you you just play it 100, 200, 300 times. And it's a game that I think that kind of becomes a part of your uh, monthly or weekly game playing uh, diet in a yeah. way. Like the people who love Agricola, they're going to be chewing on this sandwich for years. And just for transparency here, I think for me, I played the game seven times now. Okay. So, so less than you. So, you know, maybe you'll see some distinctions just in that 13 more experience with it that brendan has over me and how we're finding the game as we move into the discussion i do think too like there might be a little bit of a meta discussion here that's happening which is like because agricola has such a prominent place in like the history of our hobby uh 
we feel even more pressure to say like to play it more times where if if it was like you know a, a game that came out in the past couple of years you know we we would play it you know some somewhere in the in the realm of 10 times and say we played this game a ton we can see that there's more there you know we're just scratching yep. the surface but we wouldn't feel like oh do we play it enough so i i do think you know we are certainly covering like we've certainly played agricola as much or more and spent as much or more time learning this as other games that we've covered on this show it just feels like there's a big gap in almost like us doing our due diligence because of the place that this game has in our hobby yeah absolutely and i think now would be a really natural time to talk about some of that game background and history and you know on our show jake we do varying amounts of sort of setting the context for a game and i think if we can in this episode i'd like to do slightly more because there is some interesting history with agricola that we could sort of get into and also uwe rosenberg also the designer of games like a feast for odin patchwork uh, bonanza Lahav, all games we're going to talk a little bit more about in a second. I think that his design, some designers you sort of see, they'll do, I'm going to make a game like this. And they sort of iterate on that idea for a while. And then they try to find a whole new paradigm to like go explore. And I think with Uwe, so many of his games are sort of advancing on this core game idea and system that started with Agricola, that it's fun to sort of look into that and understand it, even from like, Without Agricola, you don't get a Feast for Odin. Like a Feast for Odin is a is a response to the design and the success of Agricola and an evolution of it. So it's fun to sort of see what he was thinking. Uh, I found a nice interview that we can kind of dive into. But I'll share this first fact, which I wondered what I, I didn't know what Agricola meant. I did not take Latin in high school or college. Uh, so for fellow listeners who did not, uh, Agricola just means farmer in Latin. It's kind of an interesting title. I took three years of Latin in high school, and I did you know it? Not known that absolutely Dang not. It. <laughs> at one time possibly it makes sense though you know agra right it's like yeah, a yeah. root word yeah okay. what about cola that means one who you Drinks. know one who farms i think that one example of how this game would not be positioned wouldn't be the game it is today if it was designed today is like no one would ever call this game agricola today if i have to why not I don't, I just, do you really, I don't know. I don't think that someone would call this game Agricola if it was published It's just today. such a weird take. It's but, so, okay. no, it's just like, we got, it's, did it's Carpe a, Diem come out a couple of years ago? Okay, okay, but everyone knows what Carpe Diem is. Okay, whatever. Let's, let's move <laughs> on. We got a lot to talk about. Okay, sounds good. Here's an important fact about it. It dethroned Puerto Rico to become the number one game on Board Game Geek. Yeah. So when we talk about the prominent place that this game has in our hobby, I think that is... Not just that people have been playing this game and loving this game since 2007, which is in and of itself an incredible accomplishment. The way we see games just like once loved, like totally just fall off the face of the earth. Um, Like a game that reaches that level of number one, it's like that is what a crazy hallmark achievement. I mean, there's like how many games have even been number one since 2007? Yeah, I don't know the answer that to that question. I bet it's I, like le- I bet it's like five or less. Interesting. I I wonder. Yeah, like probably Blue Haven, Twilight Imperium. Pandemic. I mean Twilight Twilight Struggle. Yep. Pandemic, Pandemic Legacy. Legacy. It might that might be it. I, I wonder. Yeah. So I think that that does a good job, sort of explaining why we sort of 
feel that shadow. I also, I wanted to mention the people who published the most recent version of this game that plays up to five players is Lookout Games, which is also Uwe Rosenberg's company that he founded in 2000. That's just something I didn't know. You might also know them for publishing games like Patchwork. I thought it was notable to sort of share that. And then another thing that I wanted to know is that just in talking about how prolific of a designer Uwe Rosenberg is, just in his notable games alone, uh, there's 35 games on BoardGameGeek. That range from like 1997 with Bonanza all the way to games in like Holler Tau in 2020, which was a very large hit. Uh, a Feast for Odin, like I mentioned, Newsfjord, Nova Luna, Fields of Arl, Patchwork, all these games. And then also, Jake, the more I read about Agricola, the more I saw that little like uh, cropping up of this idea that Agricola is part of a trilogy of games called the Harvest Trilogy, which I don't feel like people talk about very much anymore. Like you don't hear about people say, oh, in Uwe Rosenberg's Harvest Trilogy. So it was interesting that at that time, uh, people were talking about Agricola, Le Havre, which came out a year later in 2008, a game that people do still love. And then at at the gates of Loyang, a 2009 game as this sort of special farming harvest trilogy because that's gone people do not talk about well yeah because it's not a trilogy anymore it's like six or seven of them right yeah yeah, exactly yeah yeah (laughs) so that's yeah it's interesting now you're just like oh yeah ui with another farming joint right yeah yeah. it's it's kind of like i'm gonna say ui like 20 times but it's definitely uve that's okay it's like his own uh pharmamatic universe We'll call it that. So I found this really interesting interview. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I think I'm going to sort of like read little excerpts from it and then we'll post the link in the show notes. Um, So this is an interview from Dice Tower Dish that they did with Uwe Rosenberg sort of talking about his design career. And he's talking about how early on he tried to design games like everyone else because he wanted to, quote, be an ordinary game designer. Uh, So he designed Bonanza and then he spent a lot of time trying to make games that he thought the market would like based on games that already existed. This this is like interview answer is such a flex, though. He's like, yeah, design Bonanza. And that like gave me a bunch of money. Yeah, he says says, that gave me income, but I made a mistake that I was doing something everything else was doing. It's like so many people would be so excited to have income generated by the games that they designed like what a dream for people not uve right and enough to sort of have the flexibility to try to design however you want which is kind of where he gets and he sort of says uh, at essen in 2005 he played kalis and kalis is a worker placement game that really changed uh, a lot of designers approach to modern board games A, a lot of people consider it sort of the the first really influential worker placement game. There's discussion of what is the first real worker placement game. That's maybe a less interesting question. But he says that after he played Kalis at Essen 2000, 2015, uh, 2005, all he did uh, every evening for two weeks was to play Kalis. And then in those if two that weeks, wasn't bad enough. <laughs> he designed Agricola. <laughs> so Kalis directly inspires Agricola. That is, that is really interesting. Yeah. I did not know that fact. So then after spending those two weeks playing Kalis every single night and designing Agricola, he sort of spent all of November and intensely designed and worked on the first four rounds of Agricola and got those first four rounds. This is a 14 round game as perfect as he could get them. So he just day after day, day after day, four round, four rounds, four rounds, just iterated on and and practiced designing those first four rounds of Agricola. And he did that. 12 hours a day for like an entire week just played the first four rounds of the game over and over again this is so fascinating it's really fascinating to me too i think the 
him like designing Agricola in those two weeks or whatever. I guess the framework of Agricola was just pretty funny to me. It reminds me of like, I don't know, have you seen like the anime One Punch Man where they're like, how do you get so strong? He's like, well, I ran every day and did 100 push-ups. <laughs> so for Uwe Rosenberg, I just played. I played, yeah, I played Kalis every day for two weeks, <laughs> two weeks and I designed Agricola. <laughs> like, cool. So awesome. <laughs> That's what it takes to make one of the most legendary game designs of all time. Got yeah, it. I guess so. And then after he perfected those first four rounds, he, he added some meat to the game. Uh, in their interview, he talks about he spent a lot of December then trying to sort of, uh, in his words, perfect the final three rounds of the game. What should a, quote, nice farm look like and it, fixing and tightening the scoring incentives, which I think you really see in this game that there's a really specific idea of what Uwe thought a nice farm, what that was. Like that shadow is cast very strongly on this game. Uh, and then after that, he says, I, then I just created tons and tons and tons of cards for this game, cards upon cards after upon cards, and played it for two years, play tested it for two years, and thought about nothing else because he all he wanted to do was to play Agricola. Uh, yeah, so it's a really good interview. I think if you're wanting to get more into Uwe's head, both about Agricola and just his design process in general, which I think is different than some of the designers we've talked about before, like maybe Reiner Kinesia, who will work on lots of games at once. Uh, it's a really good interview and you should check it out. But know that sort of this came out of this cool process. And also, I think most importantly, uh, Agricola for Uwe at this point in time represents a departure from trying to design games like everyone else, right? And what's so interesting is we were talking about how <laughs> after Agricola, so many people just wanted to design games like Uwe Rosenberg. You have games like Keyflower that feel to me pretty inspired in a lot of ways by what Agricola did five years earlier, or even to today, like a game that we both like, Lost Ruins of Arnak. In a weird way, I don't think you get Lost Ruins of Arnak in its shape without something like Agricola. Very, very, very different game, but it lives in the shadow, just in the presence that Agricola had on the hobby in so many ways. Or something like, I think Viticulture is a, sure. an example, one that's like very heavily inspired. Um, but yeah, and Brendan, you're really making me second guess myself now. It is Uwe, right? I think so. Yeah. Okay, because you said Uwe like 12 times. So My bad. It's okay. I forgive you. Hopefully the listeners will forgive us. People are going to get their pronunciation pictures out again. <laughs> it's because we're reading it and it's phonetically not that uh, way. And yeah. we're English speakers. So Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, y'all. Uve, Uve, Uve. Okay. Brendan, that was great. That was really interesting. I feel like Uve is just flexing a ton in that interview. Like, yeah, I designed games in two weeks. It's not enough for me to make a living designing games. I'm going to do it different than anyone's ever done it before. And hey, thanks for doing it, man. Let's go into your previously recorded rules overview. If people have maybe just heard the word Agricola, but don't know exactly kind of how this game plays or what it's all about. This might give you a little bit of a better idea of how it goes. Agricola is a 17th century farming simulation worker placement game for one or four players. It's played over 14 rounds with important harvests taking place at set intervals at the end of some of these rounds. During harvest, players have to feed their families with food they've accumulated, otherwise incurring a severe negative penalty towards game end scoring, and they'll also harvest vegetables from any fields they've planted and see their animal herds grow if they have at least one breeding pair of sheep, pigs, or cows. Each player has 
has a personal farm plot that's a 3x5 grid. At the start of the game, this humble farm has just two rooms and two people, the player's workers and family. Over the course of the game, players use these family members to collect wood, build fences, plow or sow fields, expand their home, improve their wood home to a clay or stone home, make improvements to their farm like gaining a fireplace or cooking hearth or maybe a well, get occupations such as a woodcutter or oven firing boy that augments a player's actions, they'll expand their family, gaining more workers while also increasing how much food they'll need to feed their family each harvest, and many more actions. Each round, players use all of their available family members to take one action in a shared display of actions, with more options being revealed as the game goes on. And when they select that action, they lock any other player from using one of their own family members to take that action in this round. For example, one space might allow a player to collect three wood, or to plow a field, or spend five wood and two reed to expand one's home. If those spaces aren't used, some spaces in Agricola have an accumulation rule. So the three wood space, for example, the forest, gains three wood each round. If no one uses the wood space, at the start of the next round, three additional wood is added and another six total wood available on that space. So the next player to use it gets six wood instead of three for using the forest space. After 14 rounds of progress, players score their farms, looking at how much of their, their original plot that they filled, how many family members they have, the type of home they have, how many crops and animals they have, and more. The scoring rules force players to be generalists who accomplish many things, but special scoring cards provide room in the decision space to explore lines of play off the beaten path. After scoring, the player with the most points is crowned the victor. Thank you, Brendan. Let's jump right into our decision space exploration of this game, starting as we always do by trying to characterize the decision space. Brendan, why don't you go first? You've got more experience than me. So. Silence. Both of us just don't want to tackle it. Um, but it's not okay. that hard. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. It's not that hard. So one of the key characteristics of Agricola that I think fits really nicely into our decision space framework uh, is because of the nature of these worker placement spaces being revealed as the game goes on. Uh, at the start of the game, there's significantly fewer actions that you can take in the game. And you also typically have fewer workers at the start of the game than you do at the end. You start with two family members. You will want to probably add some more, uh, hopefully more than even just one more, maybe get up to a four or five person family. But that would cost more food. It would cost more food. So not worth it. Uh, yeah, it's just bad. Who would do that? <laughs> yeah. uh, but so it's a waxing. It has this feel of being a waxing decision space. I think you're, you have more options. The, the branch factor is higher towards the end of the game. And also you can do more. The later rounds are taking longer because everyone at the table has more workers with which they can get things accomplished, which is exciting because it gives the, the game this, I think, feeling of momentum. So long as people sort of know what they want to do and are hammering on those worker placements spots pretty quickly but like you said jake what's interesting is it even though like your available options are really growing and the amount of actions you can take are really growing the scoring i think necessarily really focuses you in because this is a game designed in such a way that you you have to generalize for a huge chunk of your points. You, you have to expand your house. You, you should probably upgrade it. You want to fill up as much of your board as possible. You need to build some fences and have some pastures. You need to have some of each type of animal. You want some vegetables. You want some grain. Those are like, you need to accomplish these things. And then on top of it, 
you can score points in lots of different ways by getting uh, just different cards to augment what you personally can do to score points. But overall, I think the decision space feels large, but not as large as something like a Feast for Odin because of how rigid the scoring is in the game. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think well put. I think the overall systems of the game lead to a waxing decision space. But like a lot of times on your turn, it has like just like an incredible tight feeling, right? Yeah. Like you might feel like on any given turn of the game, like there's just one space that you really want to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and then somebody takes it and it, you know, and oh man, like all, all my decisions are really shrinking very quickly down on me. So it has this interesting thing where even though like this, the larger systems are growing and growing and you're getting more workers, which, you know, extend your ability to do more stuff. Like, you know, the amount you can improve your farm in the last round of the game is, you know, like exponentially greater than you can do with your first round action placement. It does have like from a round to round type Mm -hmm. of feeling. I think like it it has this like good tightness that I typically associate with a waning decision space. So yeah. I think that's just a really interesting uh, and fun decision space to explore. And I think for for experts of this game, in a lot of ways, Jake, I feel like Agricola is a really, really complex... All board games can fit in this category, but I think Agricola emphasizes this point to some extent in which it feels like a very stark, tight, and interesting math optimization puzzle. Like there's just spaces that end up strictly better than other spaces at different points in the game. And those can be different in different plays depending on what cards come out depending on what spaces accumulate uh, depending on what your current setup looks like but i think that even though there's tons of options by the end the meaningful decision space might be a lot narrower than it feels at to novices i think mm-hmm. just in in sort of what i've witnessed but the the thing that i think keeps people coming back is those cards that offer just dramatically different ways to play the game because you can so much augment what a real strategic path might be depending on early synergies that you get to sort of set up this powerful feedback loop of oh i can just put down plots really quickly i'm filling filling my farm full of farm plots in this game it's going to be a little bit more farm oriented than it is going to be animal oriented something like that. totally yeah i think that um a feast a feast for odin is going to be a really powerful point of comparison that's going to yeah. come up a lot as the other uve farming sim game that we've covered on this show so i, I just would just people if they haven't to go back and listen to that episode after you finish this one because i think it will m- make differences seem like really stark but it is interesting where you know in that game all the action spaces are just there at the start uh right which which does have a, a different feel then when you know more powerful spaces are like coming out and the mechanism there is like you're getting you can't really use as many of the spaces that take a lot of workers because you're just getting more workers automatically throughout the game um so i do think that's like an interesting distinction that really makes the decision space feel very different to engage in however to your point about certain action spaces just being like objectively better than others right it it has like a smaller objective decision space than all the options that are going to be available to you on any given turn and that's exactly the same thing we were talking about in a feast for odin it's like yeah sure you have a whole board of like you know 84 action spaces or like whatever it is but like you're really going to consider like five or less yeah and i felt find it much easier to like 
ascertain the best accent in a feast for Odin, like the confounding variables and like the lack of clarity in this decision space is like much greater. And I think a lot of that, again, is something that goes away as you play a ton. But like, you know, just like the simple thing of like, okay, well, what action like might come out next turn or like a lot of time you would know for sure what action is coming out next time if you Mm -hmm. had that like concrete knowledge of like these are the available actions in each any given round um you know that's something that could be really important to focus your decision space that i just like i could have like you know looked up and had access to but i wasn't really like using that as i was like playing through the game um yeah and i think too just the scoring system just seemed like it was a lot it's you know make your farm good is sort of like an intuitive thing but that is less intuitive than to me than the comparison in a feast for odin of like play tetris and fill up your board sure sure you know yeah i think that one thing that you're highlighting that's so important to me too jake that i want to touch on is like the the difference here is the difference in the feel of the decision spaces where like even in a feast for odin when someone takes the spot that you want and i think maybe we can talk about at the end of the episode if we like agricola or a feast for odin more and why and we'll spend a few minutes doing that and then we can sort of like we'll we'll table a feast for a little bit but is the biggest difference is the rigidity it is the fact that there are certain spaces that are just strictly better than others and that ties into the evaluation puzzle because where this game becomes interesting is all about timing and when you do certain actions and so much of is this action good is so dependent on well it would be really really good if my opponent doesn't then take Mm. the action spot that i really need so it's it's tough to solve that puzzle right because the answer is i really want to add someone to my family and take the six wood but i can't do both probably so then which of those two is better and if i don't get to do that if I don't get to do the other, which becomes better. And I think that you're asked to sort of make these comparisons where maybe if you had a spreadsheet, you could solve, like, given my position, which would be better. But when I'm sitting there trying to do the evaluation of comparing these two resources to these and taking the opportunity cost of those away from you, and then you'll do this instead, like, all of a sudden, the because the branch factor of this game is so high, like the number of different situations that you can find yourself in just grows hugely. It's so hard to sort of guess that I found myself or to solve that. I found myself most of the time just going like, I'm going to try this, mm-hmm. which is fine, but I never feel like I have solid footing. Totally. Okay. I have, I have like two more thoughts here on just like characterizing the decision space before we get into a lot more things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so one of them is like, I, to your point, I think, for whatever reason, like the the worker placement in this game feels very draft like, mm. and I think that's true of like worker placement in general. Is you're sort of drafting out these spaces that are commonly available, but yeah. I think just because of the tightness of it in this game, like you really get that strong sense of like, oh man, like I hope this space kind of comes back to me and becomes available to me again. And I so I think that just speaks to what you said you're saying just putting in different kind of like terminology like i think if you like those kind of like tight drafting games like that really comes through in the worker placement here the other thing that i think is just important to note on for characterizing the decision space is like this game overwhelms you with like stuff to parse at the beginning Mm -hmm. we haven't mentioned the hand of cards you get which which is uh your like what, what are they called like labor occupations like, like, occupations and minor upgrades yeah um 
so not only are you know if you're new to this game not only will you have different uh spaces out on the board pending player count you mm-hmm. know so that's something you can kind of get over quickly but yeah you're going to be confronted with a different board setup for each player count uh so that's one thing to parse in you're also getting like a hand of what is it nine cards, seven cards? is it oh. only seven no it's more because it's yeah it's more it's more. yeah yeah it's more so it's a bunch of cards and they are not like like i like not super straightforward in a lot of yeah. cases yeah you know there, there's a lot to think through on like and you know in terms of like different costs to play you know some can be end game scoring some can like improve other actions you know there's just a ton there uh and i think uh, skilled agricola players will say like this game is really a lot about efficiently using those cards uh you know to more you know because once everybody's kind of like on the same page more or less about like what the beats are in this game that you're trying to hit mm-hmm. like then it's going to be about like who's able to like use leverage their hand of cards to you know get that like small amount of value over their opponents there uh and, and it's just a lot to take in as a new player so i just feel like you know that is sort of something that i think modern games really shy away from yeah just you know because like you would like i think you know it would make sense if you want to play this game at like a really high competitive level that you're probably spending like you know five to ten minutes just like staring at your stuff and sort of thinking what what am i trying to accomplish in this game right at off the off the top and when i talk about the fact that to me jake agricola feels like a prescription for fun from from uve the occupation cards and the minor improvements are the prescription like you cannot ignore the occupations and the minor improvements because if if everything you're doing on the board is putting together like taking the the accumulating uh wood and and all these other things are you're you're building your engine the the improvements and the are and occupations are your gas like without mm-hmm. these you can't you're not going to propel to the to the really high scoring games and the you know mid to high 40s and even into 50 you you just you're not going to scratch it because you need to sort of have these occupations build a solid combo that lets f- you from your position break the rules of the game and that's what these cards are about they're about these specific spots mean something different to me than they do to you and that i'm the, i said we'd stop talking about a feast for odin but i think one difference is is that that game has similar cards which play much less of a prominent role and i think that part of that is not wanting to overwhelm the player and jake you and i play a lot of games where cards have lots of text on them and i also like learning agricola felt overwhelmed playing this game when we weren't playing the draft variant and when we switched to playing the draft variant there's just so much to sort of internalize yeah. and think about. I felt the same way. I was just like, okay, I might be ready to do the draft variant like on game like 50. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like the, the decisions that come up in that draft. I mean, which is, I think, one of the things that like make this a game that you can play 50 times and continue to improve at. Because like the decision making there, I think, gets so high level, right? Yeah. To make any choice in that draft you essentially are like thinking through entire lines of play throughout the whole game because Agricola allows you to know how the whole game is going to play out because it you know it plays out mostly the same yeah. every single time compared to a different game that would be designed in a way that like you know every round you get a random new action space you know based on like a stack of like 30 that could come out 
sure. feel like that's how games would be designed today more often than not. But like you said in the interview, right? Agricola, Agricola was designed to have like perfect balance, right? Yeah. So we don't have that. Instead, you have, you know, the first round of the game is going to have these specific, you know, seated deck of actions places that's going to come out in a random order. So you can pretty much know generally the arc of every single game which then you can internalize that take that and incorporate it into your draft making decision from those cards which is just like awesome but also like i am not going to get any value engaging in that you know after playing this seven times totally and you because what you're really drafting is the ability to fundamentally augment the system of games the draft feels so much harder to figure out what will be strong versus what won't be than something like drafting a new set of Magic the Gathering, where there's these sort of core numbers that I can glom onto and sort of say, oh, this is a good card. It will be good no matter what. That's It's not really as easy to no. do in Agricola. It's really hard to find any one card that's just like a slam dunk. Like what you're looking for is like cards that have relationships, so combos, that are good in a particular context where everyone else's cards also make this version of the game appropriate for that. Like it playing in our discord, I played in a specific game where we just flooded the the economy with clay. And then all of a sudden that changes the entire game when both myself and my opponent have done something that make it so that clay is just falling from the skies, which is cool. That's why people love this game, but it also is so much harder as a, a newer player to understand how the systems will react to that. Yeah. All I can do in the draft is like, Oh, okay. Like, I, okay, like a lot of these cards have to do with clay or like a lot of these cards have yeah. to do with farming crops, you know? So I'll just try and take up those and like hope that like some combos reveal themselves. But I did f also find the, the cards very difficult to parse. And in my first two, three, four plays, like a lot of the occupation cards I chose to play and minor improvements I chose to play thinking they would be like good just gave me like zero benefit at all. Like, you know what I mean? Which is so punishing when you spent an entire turn yeah. playing one of those cards and probably some resources to do it. It's totally. really devastating. Yeah. yeah. And like, I mean, I think this kind of comes into it. This wasn't like a huge issue for me in my plays, like, but it is just one of those games that like, in your first play, you're probably going to finish with like basically no no points yeah. and no progress on your farm. Like my first few plays were like just rough. Like, and I knew that was what I signed up for, so it didn't bother me. Uh, and it and it's like you know, and because it's not really like random in any way at all. Like it doesn't feel like I'm frustrated that I'm doing bad. And and at the way like at times I felt like when I was like learning like. Tigers and Euphrates, another mm. like very challenging game to new players. Like I didn't have any of that frustration. I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm gonna. There's a lot to like learn here. Yeah. But yeah, if you're somebody or like you know somebody in your group gets like put off easily by like you know failing essentially in a game, like do take this one straight off your list. Yeah, I do think that that's part of the the feel of the decision space too that people talk about so often is that as a new player, like the top thing on your list is like you've probably succeeded at your first play if you didn't fail to feed your family. And that's what you're going to be worrying about is just right. feeding your two person family throughout the whole length of the game. But that's like why... what I did, right? I just like yeah. kept getting the crop or like the food spaces. I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, to... so I'm just like, keep hitting that. And it's like, all right, well, at least I'm not starving. But like, while like those are just so inefficient, basically, yeah. compared to everything else people are doing that actually creates an engine to feed them. 
and yeah, you're, improve the farm. You're probably not on the right track if you're sending off your family to go fishing every day when we're trying to be building a farm. But in my yeah, right. place, that's what I was doing most of the time. Yeah. And that's why people love this game, because once you've mastered it, all of a sudden you're not worried about feeding your family. All you have an early an early fireplace that's allowing you to like turn to bake bread early on and you've created this nice little food engine and you're just trying to balloon. Um, and you experience that sense of mastery that you're never going to lose because it isn't a highly random game. Like really the only randomization that's happening is the initial cards that come out. And then there's a little variance of when certain spaces come out, uh, but not a ton like Jake was. So yeah, I feel like that was a, that was a good therapy session talking about our experience with Agricola. Yeah. All right. So we get into some of like the more specific kind of like decision points in the game. Yeah, I think we should. The, All right. I, okay. Can we talk? Let's talk about the worker placement specifically a little bit more, because okay. I feel like Jake, the coolest thing about this game is the for me is the accumulation spots, right? Where like the forest will, it's always going to get three wood, but if no one takes it next round, it has six wood. And sometimes in two player games, for whatever reason, that spot might get up to nine wood or something. And someone's going to get this crush of wood. Also, I know what you're all thinking at home. The forest spot is never getting nine wood. Yeah, you're probably right. Wood is so good in this game that it's pretty rare that you're going to get to nine wood. But when it does happen, it feels amazing. And I, I like that this game, when I say it feels like a, a an instrument or at times it can feel like interacting with a finely tuned machine, like this accumulation mechanism makes the game feel, ironically, both organic and also artificial in a way, uh, in a cool way. Yeah, no, it... it... I think the worker placement spots are cool. I mean, the accumulation spots didn't really like wow me, I guess, in the same way. But what I do like about it is like just like the wildly different like potency of different spaces, I guess. Mm. Like, yeah, like some spots you could go to and get like nine wood or like six clay versus like I have to like go to this spot to get like one single pumpkin and that's like all I have going to do on my turn, you know, but like you have to do that, right? It could still yes. be like the best space for you, like a very important space to like start getting your pumpkin patches growing. I guess they're vegetables. They look like pumpkins. I like that you're calling them pumpkins. I think we should make that a house lab label. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, in or like when, you know, comparing that to like, the upgrade space or like the farm improvement space where you can like build a whole nother room and also build stables. It's like crazy, like, and also bake bread too, or something like, I don't yeah. know exactly, but it's like, wow, like this space, like the spaces where you go to spend resources, like give you everything. They give you mm -hmm. so much if you actually have the resources to spend them. But a lot of times like to get resources in this game is so hard, like farming a crop in this game, takes like so much effort that it's just like is it ever worth it like well and then you okay so you go to that spot where you get right. the the grain grain seeds. You have to, okay so you have to well you have to go to a spot to play plow a field okay first you field, plow a field then you go to a spot to get one single grain then you go to a third spot where you to can replant it. the grain yep. and then you won't be able to reap it until like a harvest you know at the end of the turn or like on a future turn and it's like yeah it's just i mean like so you're going to get like three grain out of it eventually over time. But it's just like, man, that's like so crazy inefficient, like doing all that stuff. Well, and then at the same time, OK, so you imagine, you know, you, you go down to the store, you buy this one holy seed that you're like protecting yeah. as you walk home. But then you get home and it's like, ooh, do I, I, I want to break. I need to bake bread. 
and I need yeah, you're the like, I'm just going to eat bread. this. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm going to eat it now. But like, no, you cannot do it. You have to plant it. But it's so tempting so many times. Also, I feel like I have to shout out this moment because I know you and I both had it, which is like you go through this whole loop and then you're like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to bake some bread. And then you go home to bake bread and you have no fireplace to bake bread. Yeah, you're like, because you yeah, never improved your farm. It, it, it's so tough. Like, you know, yeah. And that's the, like those, those moments, like there are like these big tempo changing moments where it's like, everybody's kind of doing the same stuff, right? Like you're, you're doing the basic resource collection and like planting uh, seeds and, you know, putting down your occupation cards, like in the first few turns. Uh, but then like finding the right opportunity where you can like forego all of that to just like spend some resources, mm-hmm. right. To get yep. the fireplace out and you want to do it early, but you know, doing it too early, like you're not going to have any use for it. Cause you're not yeah. doing like the other, like incredibly onerous process of like planting and harvesting. Uh, so I do, I do think like, you know, the, the trick of like identifying like when to take these like offbeat tempo moments where you're like, okay, I'm just like spending this for future gain is is interesting. Yeah, I like the decision around fences. That's one decision point that I found was really fun to interact with and figure out the right way to do it. Um, and that's because from a scoring perspective, I only ever want to take the fencing action once. And with that, I want to build every single fence that I have in my supply, which will give me the maximum number of points for fences. But for actually growing my animals, I probably want to get some pastures down earlier that will allow me to have multiple animals and let them start breeding, you know, get my sheep out there, get my wild boar. I don't get why they're called wild boar in the rules if I'm clearly farming them, but sure. Okay. Um, So I, I sneak them into the pastures, right? So there's this real good tension between like, I want to do the fencing action once I built up a ton of wood, probably already expanded my house, maybe built some stables, but I can't afford to wait. So solving that problem is impossible and it's fun to solve impossible problems in board games. Uh, And then sometimes you have like workers who are like, whenever you take the fence space, you get to build three fences for free or something. That's not the exact card. It's something like that, but that's fun because in that game, Oh, I'm actually, I want to take the fencing action more often. And with that, maybe I can block my opponents from taking it. And uh, that's why people love this game is sort of that inversion and getting that on its head but that i like the fencing puzzle and it also feels good to like flood your board with things like when you can lay down a ton of fences or if the sheep space does accumulate to five or six sheep just like oh yeah sheep (laughs) on the farm tonight and i'm gonna cook six of them because i have no room so uh right yeah yeah yeah. hope y'all are hungry yeah uh that made me think of another point that I think is like weirdly like an absent decision space. Like when I was learning the rules of the game, like I thought I would have like really interesting like considerations about where to put things on my farm. Mm. And at least like for me at my skill level, it's never come up that like I've had to care at all about like where I'm placing things. And that just seems like for Uwe Rosenberg, who's like this crazy now has this reputation for having designed like tons of spatial reasoning games. I just found that interesting. Like it was just a, a place that didn't meet my expectation. Is is that a place that you found interesting decisions at in? I think I think that the farming you can mess yourself up in in some cases. I think just based on where you go, but it's it's kind of hard to do like, like as how? a novice. Like I like, can't even imagine a case of 
blocking yourself in. I think I've made some mistakes with how I've set up my fences a little bit early on where like I couldn't, if I had done them slightly differently, I'd be able to finish one extra pasture. But beyond that, I agree. That's like pretty minor. It's pretty minor. And the board in general just feels pretty trivial. It's almost like you're tracking things with it, but it doesn't feel like a living space in the way that when you're building out your town square in a feast for Odin, you're really thinking about the spatial decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just an interesting point. It could almost just be like you get 15 cards in front of you in this yeah. three right three by five grid. Instead, you have 15 cards, but it's not. I like that the metaphor is there because it helps you think about it. But yeah, it's it, it's, it's it's like a scoring sign tracker where you're like, yeah. OK, I have to like fill in all this stuff more than it's like I have to design my farm strategically in a way that will fit in because unless yeah. you're like really, really skilled, you're probably not filling everything in anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah, which is just interesting. Like, shoot, I lost my train of thought. Is it? But I was going to say something really smart. You will again. All right. Go, we'll come back on. to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I want to talk about it. I another... hate when this happens. It's just like in. It's the in podcasting the cursed. Yeah. Yeah. It'll come back to you. I'm going to talk about the meeting place space uh, for a second because I think that's another. This is, in my mind, one of the core decision points of the entire game. So this is a space uh, on the board that is there from the very beginning, and it allows you to take the first turn in terms of player order. And that uh, the opportunity to claim this comes up 13 times. There's 14 rounds in Agricola, so it can be reclaimed 13 times. That doesn't always happen. Uh, but when you take this, you also have the opportunity to build a minor improvement card. Who doesn't want to become first player and add a corn scoop to your farm? It's like, I like yeah. that card. I like that card. It but does seem like this space gets taken like a with lot the first move of the game, like very often, pretty often. And that's because going first can be so, so strong, right? You're getting the first shot at a double accumulation space, a space that was probably a little below curve last turn and now is probably above curve in terms of what you're getting this next turn. Uh, but I think where this becomes even more interesting is figuring out when you don't want to take this where sort of you and your opponent are pursuing different paths and you can forgo spending a turn building a minor improvement card somewhat later in the game and get more out of your turn and sort of bide your time. But then it the game flips it on its head by later on, uh, some of the tiles that get revealed are just super powerful. Like there's that space, Jake, that allows you to sow a field and uh, sorry, to plow a field and sow it. And so all your fields in one action, that space just feels like, oh my gosh, it's like 17th century farming Christmas. Like I love that action space. So um, good. Yeah. So I think that this game has a, a in, it's rigid in its scoring. It's rigid in terms of what you have to accomplish. Um, and it's also a little bit rigid in terms of uh, when you want to be doing certain things i now i lost my track too a little bit. okay well i remember what i was gonna yes, say so yes. i'm just gonna say okay. it now before i forget Good. it's almost like when you're built like the so there are rules around how you can build out your farm this is going back to like placing stuff on your farm right there are rules yep. around it but it's almost like those rules are put in there not for any kind of like strategic or decision space consideration but like purely thematic reasons yeah like it thematically wouldn't make sense if you could go like house farm house farm right yeah. so yeah it makes sense you have to put all your house together and you put your farming spaces together but it doesn't actually like lead to any interesting decisions so i just think you know that's not something we encounter a lot of like rules for 
purely thematic reasons. And I kind of think this is approaching that. And Uli, if not just a hundred percent that. We talked about how in a feast for Odin, the feast itself kind of takes on something similar because in that game, so integrally you have to feed your family like we've talked about, and it's actually a meaningful task. You can fail to do it and you're penalized pretty hard if you do, and it feels terrible. In a feast for Odin, you're basically just given all the food you would need to feed your family at the start of these rounds. Uh, so that's a similar example. Not every in a way. Round. There no, are way but- more there are way more decisions around like how to accomplish your feast phase, in my opinion. You can do it and like how to build out your farm. Definitely. Like in terms of just like spatial reasoning, not like the decisions that you make and when to build stuff. Well, I, right. Like you can definitely do it better, but he, he's got you covered in terms of the design. Yeah. Whereas here it's like, there isn't really a doing it better. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe we just aren't good enough to, maybe we suck. Yeah. Yeah. So like if, if like you're at a level where that matters a lot and you're really thinking about it, like talk to us, let us know, let us know. Yeah. Okay, this is not the type of game where we should have this conversation because the the right answer is I want to do exactly what uh, Uwe tells me to do and to to maximize my number of points by getting exactly this many animals and exactly this many of everything in the game. But what systems do you like engaging with the most, Jake? Like, where do you have the most fun? Uh, I mean, I think like I think this game does have those moments, like like. I don't, I don't know what the right terminology is for this, but like it has the moments where like you kind of get that like jackpots feeling where like things like align just right, where mm-hmm. you get the exact space you want, you have enough to pay for it and you're have a like occupation card that you're synergizing with to make it even better. And that does feel fantastic when, when it happens. So I think like, I think I really do enjoy the occupation cards and like engaging with those as I have them. And as I like learn more, uh, I think that's pretty fun. Uh, and, and just like how that interacts with the overall system of drafting these worker placement spaces. Yeah. I'm going to tell a story about one that I had recently in a game I played this morning. That was really fun that I think is a good example of this, which was that I got a card that lets me expand my wood house for normally you have to pay five wood and two reed for every new room that you would add to your house. This card let me expand for two wood and two reed. And that was super fun because it made it such that I could very quickly build up to five rooms and then have wood change left over to plop some stables down. Um, So I think that for me, Yeah, I agree. Some of the best moments are when the occupation cards come together and you can sort of do something at a time in the game that you wouldn't normally do. And my second answer is I really like when my animals breed. And I thought that I like when I heard about Agricola, I thought that, you know, if I had six uh, horses, those would turn into three horses and then I would have nine horses. But instead breeding rules. Yes. When you have six horses or if you have 12 horses, you still only get one more horse. And Which is funnel, oddly the exact same rule that he uses in all of his games. I, I think from a mathematic pers- mathematical perspective, I'm sure he has like the perfect reasoning why, but it's not as exciting. Let, but let it just me cracks me up. Yeah. It just cracks me up from like, like it's such a design hallmark. Like that's exactly yeah. how it works in A, a Feast Road in. I think New York Zoo is the same, right? I can't remember. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure it is, but I think I think it's the same everywhere. And it's just yeah. like that is like such a design hallmark that, and it's just such a funny thing to be a design hallmark. It's like, yeah. yes, I design games where no matter how many animals you have, as long as X is greater than or equal to two, you get plus one more animal. Yep. Yeah, that yeah. Type. 
at least That's he's consistent. Me. Yeah. Yeah. And getting animals of a type that you shouldn't be able to get early feels really cool too. Uh, yeah. Like if you can get boar on your farm before sheep, uh, and like before, not with, like, you know, you get a car. Yeah. It's like, ooh, I have the pigs. Um, but ultimately, all these things kind of end up feeling a little bit trivial because again, you have your prescription and you have to bring what Uve thinks is the right farm to the table. You can't go hog wild. Right. You have to get sheep, hogs, and and some nice horses. You definitely want to get at least one of each because the first one you get is a net gain of two points. Yep. But then you're gonna have want to have like varying numbers of more going forward. And I think like that's where I've just like that's probably the system I like engaging with the least is the scoring in this yeah. game. And I think it's trying to accomplish like something intuitive that's just like well of course horses are better than sheep so you know every single one more that you get of those is or cows or whatever they are you know what i mean the brown ones yep the brown ones (laughs) are worth more so like it's intuitive in that way but it's just constantly like i'm like looking over my sheet especially at the end of the game and like doing this kind of math almost like power grid like where i'm you know another game euro game of similar era where you're like kind of at the end you're really just like okay well now is the time when i have to like pour over this map and like do the math and make sure i'm not like just doing something that's going to be objectively fewer dollars in here it's like objectively fewer points to me um it's just kind of a pain in the butt yeah yeah i do like that you get when you're playing the game it feels good knowing when you're learning the game that almost anything will get you some points like that does right. like oh i except for that's not true what do you it's mean like, like reeds don't get you points that's true okay anything you add to your farm board is probably going to get you a few more points. and some things that you add to, i'm just saying like it's not like nothing is Wonder that one. straightforward but yeah. it is like generally improving your farm is good i want to fill it in i want getting the resources to be full. is like generally good but not always because yeah. like having leftover like wood clay and stone yeah, it's bad. Yeah. But having leftover food stuff is helpful. Oh, yeah, because you're trying to build up those stores. I guess so, yeah. One thing that I find really interesting about this game is how long the later turns can take if you're playing like a four-player game and many people have three or four or even five right. workers. Like, the rounds can be pretty long towards the end of the game. I think that's pretty typical of a lot of these games where, which, which is something I like um a lot of time where like the first few rounds are just like oh wow we're flying through this thing right and yeah. then it's like the last like couple of rounds of the game could take like as long as the whole previous <laughs> game sure you know what what other games that like like uh lost rooms of arnak has that exact same thing yeah where it's like the fifth round of the game might take as long as the first four rounds just because like people are like now mathing things out, spending all these like accrued resources, like comboing off. Same, it's same a, effect here. This sort of th- underwater cities to some extent, maybe too, like this positive agency feedback loop type game, which this is, right? Like yeah. you're trying to get a little loop and then you're trying to exploit the loop. And- it is. We, you, I'm hoping, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. not always for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> tell you that right now. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> That's what you're trying to accomplish. That's, yeah, yeah, same. Right. It's, yeah. I will say, too, one thing that made me realize how tough this game can be is that I've had games of this where I feel like are really successful. I I do achieve that sort of positive agency loop and I I score in the mid or even the high 30s. I feel amazing. And then I play again and I get like six points. Um, 
and it's well, so frustrating. I think it's like also like I've I've had a similar experience. I wonder. I should check like what my best score because I've had some pretty solid scores in this game. Yep. I've scored thirty eight in a win over some more experienced players. I scored thirty five, thirty two, thirty one. So I've done pretty good in some of my plays, but yeah. also like in a more recent play that we have going now between us, uh, it's async's not done. I got like a occupation card early that was like really seemed to reward having clay. Mm-hmm. So I started being like, oh, I'm just gonna like go heavy in clay. So I'll be able to like upgrade my, I think it like allowed me to like improve my house with clay, like right off the bat or something. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna like bypass like wood as a system in this game. And I'm like, <laughs> like, three or four like turns into the game it's like you cannot do that and be successful in this game like now i know i didn't know then i thought it might work out you know and i like this so this game like you're just gonna absolutely stomp me in it and that's fine like it's like a fun like learning experience but yeah like as you're learning this game even as you're learning more about it i think like the you can find yourself doing things that are in hindsight just like totally wrong allowable totally wrong right yeah Yeah. exactly yeah and that's the rigidity coming back into play Mm -hmm. where like you you think you're going down the right path and then it turns out it yeah i'm like oh i've like got an early occupation that seems pretty good i'm gonna try and leverage that throughout the game it's like well oops like you not that one can't do that with that one you know you completely wasted four turns which is you threw away the game yeah Yeah. because those four turns mean losing all of this potential efficiency Yeah. yeah maybe okay that's Let's talk about player counts a little bit. How many player counts have you played this game at, Jake? I know you've played it at two and three. Have you played it at four also? Yep. I played okay. at two, three, and four. Cool. I think what just you... one game at four. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm in a similar boat. I've played it the most at two. I've played it some at three and like one or two games at four. What do you think of the player count differences? They feel like fundamentally different games. In some totally. Ways. Yeah. I, th- like, I yeah. think I mentioned that at the beginning, but like you really have to like relearn the board because yeah. the starting board is so different at like two and three and four. Yeah. I, is it, I think it's four where it's like, oh, you can just get like the stone at the very beginning. Yeah, you game. get like, it's like one stone, one read and one food becomes a space. Yeah, which yeah. in the two player game, like you can't get stone until like almost the very end of the game. Yeah, so it's it like, yeah, like... that's like very different. Mm-hmm. uh just just in that like one small consideration so yeah i do think it feels very different i have played uh a, a entirely asynchronous games i would love to play it you know in person maybe that would change my experience more but i think like for async the you know it feels very similarly i think i probably like the three and four player games more than the two player game just because i think like the two player game is asking you to do more blocking like intentional blocking you know like if if somebody's like got a couple occupations out that are like really around like clay or fences or you know farming then you know you can really hose them by just being the person that takes that space that's gonna they're gonna value and force them to really work hard to get anything out of it and i think that for me is less fun than the game of we're all trying to like you know, there's still like some room to mess each other up, but it's more incidental, it feels like in the four player game or like maybe more targeted towards somebody who's like actually out in front. And we're all just focusing on like getting to that positive agency loop. Totally. I also want to note that the what is scarce in different player counts feels pretty different. 
I don't have enough of an understanding of the game to always know what's going to be scarcer depending on the player count. But just in playing, I've sort of noticed like, oh, at a higher player count, like at four, it, it feels really hard to get as much read as I need mm-hmm. to expand my house. Um, I'm struggling to get that as much. So that I think makes the read cards better at a higher player count. And I think that that's something that later designs try to move away from a little bit. I think some of Uwe's, uh, Uwe's later games try to sort of have a more consistent feel and consistent access to the same sort of strategies, regardless of the player count. Uh, not to say that either way is better, but that's something that I noticed about the experience. I really like it at two because I like how sort of tight the decision space feels and how rewarding it is to sort of consider what your opponent might want and respond to that and trying to react and get in front of them. But at the same time, it really does accentuate player skill differences. If three, if someone gets to their third worker significantly before uh, another player, that like 1.5, uh, that 0.5 additional efficiency can really spiral and be very meaningful. And like you said, Jake, become an opponent blocker potentially. Yeah, is I think also... Well, one of the interesting kind of decision points of this game is like when you should take the first player marker space. Yep. So, you know, uh, that this has the mechanism where, you know, there's just a space to become the first player. And also you get to put down a minor improvement when you yeah. do that, which is great. Um, and I think that is a lot like the decisions around when to do that are a lot more fun and interesting in a higher player count game. Just way more nuanced, right? Like mm-hmm. if it's a four player game and... I'm second because the person in front of me is the one who just recently claimed that mark or whatever. Like I probably am fine with not taking that space, but maybe, you know, there are certain cases where I just need to do it anyway, because there's one action. Like I so desperately need at the start of the next round and potentially somebody, or potentially I'm like afraid that somebody after me is going to take it and then I won't be second. I'll be fourth or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, so I, that's a lot more interesting where I feel like in a two player game, like it can almost feel like a little bit over centralizing in my noob games where it's like, you're going to have a very different game. If like, you're just going back and forth, taking that a bunch from each other, but it almost feels like you kind of need to do that because having, you know, the person you're playing against just like sit at their, the first player like it's it going first seems really strong in this game yeah i think even more so in a two-player game where like the wood uh what what is it called the forest the forest like where it's filling up every turn multiple times like being able to have access to that especially if it gets skipped and all of a sudden you're getting six wood from that spot is huge yeah um but i don't i don't want to be spending like it also feels like bad and not that fun to be spending like tons of my agency just being like well, now i'll be the first player again next turn i don't know totally no i i think you're you're completely on i i agree i'm tracking can we close jake with a quick discussion of a feast for odin let's do it we both like a feast for odin more yeah correct yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I i was thinking about that too and i actually just looked up the weight between the mm. two games because i think a feast for odin at least in my mind before i sat down and really like dove into agricola like had it was impressed upon me as like this like much bigger game and like yeah. with that like the heavier game uh and it it, do, it is heavier according to board game geek it's like 3.8 compared to agricola's 3.6 mm. um but they're pretty close right like there's yeah. not a huge difference there and i think just speaking for myself like 
a feast for Odin was much easier and intuitive for me to pick up uh, than Agricola was. I think yeah. your mileage will vary there. I think other people, you know, clearly other people think that Agricola is the lighter of the two, but I think, you know, just the, the, you know, early, the investment to like get into these games, I think is comparable. And I just feel like for me, I just, the amount of fun I have going through a game of a feast for Odin. Like, I just feel like I'm ramping up so much more. Like I, it just seems like everything I'm doing in Agricola, it's like, is I'm just able to do it more. <laughs> I think that uh, one thing that I was surprised by is in playing a feast for Odin, the, my ability to the emergent stories that would get told with my board and my houses and my sheds were fun and interesting and funny. And I, I miss that aspect in Agricola a little bit, uh, which is a strange criticism from someone who's a co-host on a show called Decision Space. Uh, but that's one criticism I had. And I also thought playing a feast for Odin, Jake, I remember talking in episode 59 where we covered that game, that one of the things that I really lamented was that the cards weren't more important, that you could ignore the occupations in that game. And I sort of was like, no, I want these to be meaningful. I don't want them to be meaningful, it turns out. I like anymore. <laughs> that it's yeah. a system that I can ignore, actually. Um, and it, I've realized that one of the things I like about A Feast for Odin is the openness of that system and the flexibility of that system. Uh, and that when a good spot gets taken, there are other good spots that you can go to. And it's not only a gaming, a game about timing and tempo. Uh, it's a It's a component of it, but there's more going on. Uh, and yeah. I think that overall, I just had more fun making those decisions. Uh, but if you like a rigid, rewarding game that is going to, if you play it 100 times, you're going to be able to master, I think Agricola probably gets the scales tipped in its favor, given how uh, like sort of tightly designed it is and how balanced it is. Yeah. I, I think I was surprised in just to find out like just how similar these two games two, are. Yeah. And like for me, you know, it, like I clearly favor one to the other um so like for that reason because they're so similar it's almost like the death knell for agricola like sure. i don't know why i would play that over a feast for odin yeah. when they are very similar but i do think there are I, I know for a fact there are a lot of people out there that prefer agricola to a feast for odin i think that's valid to me the biggest distinction between the two is like in one you're working from like a resource rich mindset and uh the other it's a resource scarce mindset yeah you know doing as much as you can with very little in agricola and i think that can be more rewarding when you have these games where it's like wow i did a lot uh and you know, I, and it was tough and look, look at my farm. Like you really get a sense of accomplishment. I think the sense of accomplishment there is greater than in a feast for Odin where it's like, everybody's doing a lot. Like you're guaranteed to do a lot. It's just one person's going to do the most. Yep. So I think that like is a lower sort of like peak moment of like achievement and winning the game. But I think the, the like a higher level around the table of people having fun. Totally. Yeah, A Feast for Odin is a rock show and Agricola is a string quartet. Both awesome yeah. musical experiences, but I'm going to roll up to the rock show and have a, right. have a blast. Yeah. Cool. Um, but I'm really glad I played it. It's a really interesting game and the history is so fascinating. Maybe Jake, one day on the show, will return to Uwe Rosenberg's farming uh, genre 
essentially. Yeah. Maybe we'll check out Fields of Arl or something like that. Another game that people seem to really love. But next week... Is that is coming... that in the prequel trilogy or is that in the sequel trilogy? I think that that's the, the, the reboot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would love to. I think uh, just like my final thought on this game, like I think it's one I would will play again. I sure. think if, if somebody was in the Decision Space Discord and are looking for games section or whatever and like hey i got a table of agricola open i would join it on the caveat that like i, I don't want to do the draft yeah i knew you were thing. gonna say that i'm kind of <laughs> in the same boat yeah. yeah give me the cards i could use yeah yeah well awesome well next week as a reminder to all you pre-planners out there we're gonna be covering stan kradonsky's dice hospital a fun little dice drafting dice placement game where you try to heal dice it's hilarious kind of yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think yeah, it'll, it'll be a be fun good. discussion and, and kind of a, a a break in some ways from, yeah. uh, or, you know, kind of getting back to a, a lighter game. Uh, but that doesn't mean, of course, it's not a great game with interesting decisions, but you'll have to listen in to find out what we think. Awesome. And until then, if you have thoughts on Agricola, on this episode, on anything we've ever discussed on Decision Space, or even things you think we should discuss on Decision Space, we'd love for you to stop by the Decision Space Discord and tell us about them. You can find a link to that in our show notes. Alternatively, you could message us on Twitter at DecisionSPA, uh, or you could write an email to us. And you can find our email or a form to email us on our website, decisionspacepodcast.com. Until next week. Uh, have fun playing games. Yeah. That's not like even to... a tagline. We don't we don't have a tagline. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh yeah. No, that's great. I have a feeling there will be thoughts on this one, so excited to read them. And as always, let's uh, on our way out thank Hembry for our intro and outro song, Reach Out. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.